0: Welcome back to our first week together in the book of Hebrews, so we're in chapter one. Today we're going to be looking at verse three, just this one verse, which has so much about who Jesus is. Week one, day three, verse three. Verse three says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In some ways, this verse, Hebrews 1, 3, may be the single best verse in all of Scripture for giving a complete, a comprehensive picture of who Jesus is. You look through this one verse and you find out Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the exact representation of his being. Third, he sustains all by his powerful word. Fourth, he provides purification for sins. And fifth, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's who Jesus is. Let's just walk through each of those together. First, who is Jesus? He is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the glory of God. It's interesting. When you see Jesus as the glory of God, it's not in some fearful display of power. It's not in something that you can't look at. Jesus shows himself the glory of God in the person of a suffering servant and humbling himself come to this earth and live for us and give his life for us. The glory of God started. Think about this with me. The glory of God on this earth in Jesus. Now, Jesus existed before he came to this earth. Don't forget that. But on this earth, the glory of God started in a manger, a humble baby, Jesus limiting himself to a baby who would grow. That's the glory of God. And the glory of God ended his life on this earth on a cross, suffering the unjust, the cruel punishment, seemingly of men, but that's not what was going on there. What he was doing was dying for my sins, dying for your sins. But again, he's in this position of ultimate humility, allowing people to take his life. In the beginning, God allowed life to be given into a manger through a woman. In the end, He allowed life to be taken through some enemies on a cross. And all of it, Jesus is humbling Himself. And in all of it, in all of it, there is this glory of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. That word, radiance. Well, if you think about the sun, the radiance of the sun is not the reflection of the sun in a mirror or in a window off of an office building. The word radiance here means more like the rays of the sun. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is the sun or sun rays. I'm just saying it is the same thing. It is what it is. Jesus is God's glory. Glory is the awesome greatness of God. And when you and I think of the awesome greatness of God, we think of great displays of power. But we're reminded in the person of Jesus that we most clearly see it in our lives today in the humility of Jesus who came and gave his life for us. God can accomplish great displays of power whenever he chooses. He is the creator. He is the one in the end who will be the judge. But in Jesus, we see the humble love of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. Number two, he is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God. He's the exact representation of the being of God. Now, the question to our scientific minds is how could that happen? How can you fit God into a human being, a human body? How is that even possible? How can you fit God into that manger that we talked about? How can you fit God into that boy that grew up? How can you fit God into Jesus walking around with his disciples? For some of us, that seems like with our scientific minds trying to fit the Pacific Ocean into a thimble. But remember, this is not about our scientific minds. This is about something that's above and beyond even our thinking. How do you fit God into a human body? The same answer as we had with the radiance of God's glory. It's through humility. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus humbled himself and so became a man. So walked this earth, so gave his life on a cross. He's the exact representation of his being. We see in Jesus who God is because Jesus is God. Number three, this verse talks about how Jesus sustains. He sustains all by his powerful word. Jesus is the creator of everything. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. But he's also the sustainer of everything and the ruler over everything and everyone that exists. Now, some people recognize that he's their sustainer, that he's their ruler. Others don't. It doesn't change the fact that he is. That is who he is. If you're in a place where you can look at the fingerprint on your thumb, if you can make it out, that fingerprint, he made that. He formed us. He fashioned us. He fingerprinted us. But if you think of the blood that's coursing underneath that fingerprint, he is the one who is sustaining that. He's the one who's keeping you alive. Now, I know this is hard for us to see sometimes. We think, I'm the one who's keeping me alive. I'm the one who's doing the work. I'm the one who's buying the food. God allows us to be involved in the process, no doubt about it. But the truth of the matter is, God, who he is, he is the one who holds it all together. And without him, it would all fall apart in an instant. The truth is, you and I, we depend on Jesus for our very existence. And I'm not just talking about your creation existence that happened I don't know, 15, 25, 35, 85 years ago, that moment when you came into this world, you depend on Jesus, yes, for your birth, but you also depend on Jesus for your moment-by-moment existence. God, who is life, is the one who sustains life, and without him there would be no life. He sustains it all by his powerful word, the word of who he is. And then this incredible verse goes on to say, after he had provided purification for sins, that's what happened at the cross. He provided purification. And those who were reading the book of Hebrews were, remember, Jewish believers, Jewish followers. They understood this phrase. They understood what it meant to provide purification because they knew all about the offerings at the temple. They knew all about the sacrifices that were made and the blood that was spilled so that purification could be provided for the people's sin. And they knew that unless purification was provided, that the sins would stay on the people of God. Jesus provided purification through a sacrifice, a sacrifice on a cross. He is our Savior. And he reminds us here that we depend on Jesus not just for our very existence. We also depend on him for our forgiveness. We depend on him for our eternity. We depend on him for our relationship with God. He not only has brought us life, he has brought us new birth through what he did in purifying you may not be sure that your sins have been purified, that they've been forgiven. Right now, you can ask for them to be. We'll talk about this several times in the book of Hebrews. You can say, Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on the cross to provide purification for my sins. And right now, I ask you to forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to be the kind of person. I want to live the kind of life that you've made me to live. Jesus, who is he? He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. He sustains all by his powerful word. He provided purification for sins. And then number five, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, in the way that this sentence is written in the Greek language, this phrase, this last phrase is actually the focus. You could read it this way. Being the radiance of glory, he sat down at the right hand. Being the representation of his being, he sat down at the right hand. Having provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand. This is the place that this whole verse is headed. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. And this phrase is going to come up again and again throughout the book of Hebrews in chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 12. So here at the beginning, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, the right hand of God is the place of honor and authority and power. George Guthrie talks about the right hand of God being the place of five specific things. It's the place of the promised Messiah. It's the place of the victor over sin. It's the place of the judge of all. It's the place of the Lord of all. And it's the place of our intercessor for our sins. Now that's just a taste of that, a beginning of the look of that. We're gonna come back to this again and again through the book of Hebrews. What does it mean that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God for you? What does it mean? It means that whatever he promised to do, he has the power to do. He will make good on those promises. Jesus has promised to forgive. He sits at the right hand of God. He has the power to forgive. What does that mean for you and I this day? It means that because of where Jesus sits, you can be set free from your doubts. Whatever doubts you have, whatever doubts I have, and we all have them, he's at the right hand of the throne of God. He's already taken his place in power. You can depend on that. So when you think, I wonder if I really am forgiven, you look at the throne and you realize Jesus sits there not just as our judge, but also as our intercessor. Intercessor means the one who goes between us and God, our mediator, our intercessor. He's praying for us. And in praying for us, he's recognizing the forgiveness that he's given us as we've trusted him for that. When you think, I wonder if I'm really forgiven, you look at the throne. When you think, when you have doubts, I wonder if Jesus really is who he says he is, you look at the throne. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. When you think, I wonder if it will really all work out in the end, you look at the throne. He is the sustainer and he has a plan. Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. And Lord, I choose, we choose together this day to look at the throne. We could look at our doubts. We could look at our circumstances. We could look at our failings. Or we could look at our accomplishments. And we could look at our praises. But Lord, getting too caught up in either of those, any of those, that leads us to looking at ourselves and not looking at you. And that's when the doubts come. That's when the drifting comes. And so right now, we choose this day to look at the throne, to look at who you are, the power that you have, and to trust in you. We trust in you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Tomorrow we're going to look at how we can be sure that Jesus is higher than even the angels.